Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast, as we explore the mind of former MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. On this episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett sits down with a quarterback who's enshrined in not one, but two Hall of Fames for his play on the gridiron, Warren Moon. Here's your host, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone. And today on the program, I sit down with one of the best quarterbacks of all time. He's a nine-time Pro Bowler and was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2006. Ladies and gentlemen, Warren Moon. Warren, thanks for coming on the program. Brett, thanks for having me, man. And happy holidays to you. Yeah, you too. You too. It's been a while. It's been a while. Um... Close your eyes. What uniform are you wearing? Houston Oilers, man. Got I think I figured. Blue. Yeah, I figured that Columbia would be the blue. answer, right? Yeah, but it was an interesting. I was thinking about an opening question for you, and I thought it's got to be the Oilers, but who knows? Who knows what he might pick? Um, born in Los Angeles, big family, six sisters. That's what my mom's got six sisters and a brother. Um, tell me about Warren Moon growing up as a kid. What was your childhood like? Man, it was uh, it was different. You know, I, I grew up uh, in Los Angeles, like you said. Um, you know, we weren't we weren't very well off. My my dad passed away from alcoholism at uh, seven when I was seven years old. So I kind of became the man of the house at a very very young age and had to take on you know responsibility and and be that protector of uh, you know seven women in my house and. Uh, so I grew up really fast. Uh, my, my childhood was, it was fun, but it wasn't as much fun as it could have been because I took my role so serious as far as, uh, you know, being the man of the house and that type of thing. Um, really was protective of my sisters and protective of my mom. And, and all. Uh, when I became maybe 10, 11 years old, I started thinking, hey, I got, I got to make it in, in life. Uh, I've got to do something in order to get us out of this, this uh, situation that we're living in because... Uh, I felt like at that time I had, you know, pretty good athleticism and, and there was maybe a chance that I could, you know, take that and, and run with it and at least get maybe a scholarship to college and, and be able to further my education because I knew my mother wasn't going to be able to pay for me to go to college. So that was my big thinking and my big focus as a young kid growing up was how could I, um, you know, get a scholarship to college so I could uh, get that type of education that I needed to be successful so I could make money and, and try and help my mother get out of that situation? Yeah, it is pretty remarkable. I mean, not too many kids are put in that position that you were in at an early age. You think that shaped Warren Moon going forward in the, in the awesome career that, that was to follow? Did that... You know, it's so unique and having to take over that fatherly role. And like you said, having all those women in the house and you were kind of the man of the house. You're working, you're helping uh, support the family. And and it's something usually kids at a young age don't have to do. But how did that affect you going forward? And do you see it as a positive now looking back? 
Yeah, there's no question that it did shape me. It um, it made me much more mature, like I said, for my age. Um, you know, a lot of my my friends growing up, whether it was when I became a teenager or in the high school or in the college, um, I mean, my nickname was called Pops because I was always looking out for everybody else. I was always worried about, you know, everybody being you know, safe with what they were doing and, and going out to parties. Are you going to get home safely? All these different things. I was the guy that was the, the big responsible one. And, and a lot of that came from, you know, my my uh, early childhood of, of being responsible around my house. So it definitely shaped me. It molded me. Um, but I, I don't think I enjoyed sports as much as I probably should have because my, my whole focus about or about being in sports was to make it you know i didn't enjoy the wins as much as i should have um i took the losses probably a little bit harder than i should have all those different things and um when i look back at my career uh, playing 23 years of professional football that was one of the things i regretted that i didn't enjoy the ride a little bit more than i than i should have you know it's funny you say that because you know as as ex-athletes we have people coming come up to us usually in our perspective fields and i get that that question asked to me a lot what would you have done different you know especially from young players minor league guys that i'm around and i and i say just what you said i said you know if i could have done one thing a little more i would have enjoyed i would enjoyed what i got to do for a living a little bit more i would i would have taken a little time at at wrigley field at, at fenway park during a, during a pitching change to just kind of look around and, and soak it all in. I, I, I got, I was the same way. I got so caught up in who I'm facing tomorrow, the grind. Uh, I don't have time to enjoy these things. I've got to study the film and I've got to work on my swing. And right now I stink and I got to get better. I really didn't. I said, if you can do it, you know, especially young players, I said, if you can do it, always try to remember to enjoy what you got. Because it's pretty awesome what we get to do to put on a uniform and do for a living in, in obviously football and baseball. But but I, I'm like you. I wish I would have enjoyed it a little bit more. Not saying I didn't have a great time playing baseball. I definitely did. But but that's the one thing, too, I, I wish I would have been able to do as well. Uh, do you play any other sports? I, I read in doing my homework for this interview, I, I saw that uh, you had to pick one sport. Yeah, you you're supporting the family. You you got a bunch of people to look after. So you had to pick one sport. It ended up being football. I think it was the right choice. But did you did you have a did you have a, a love for any other sports growing up or was it always football? Yeah, you know, I played them all growing up. I played Little League Baseball, and I was really good at it. Um, basketball was my favorite sport. Didn't think I was going to be tall enough, you know, to be a basketball player. Um, so that's why I kind of gave way to, to football as I got older and in, into high school and had to kind of pick that one sport because in the off season I had to, you know, get a part-time job. And I worked for the uh, the, the Veterans Administration. I was a file clerk, and, and I, I made money to not only for myself to have money for, you know, in my pocket or what I needed for for school, you know, lunch or whatever it might have been or taking the bus to school, all the different things that, that you need money for. But I also gave my mom money um, from 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 working. So um, baseball, like I said, was probably my, my, my best sport. Uh, I was a shortstop and also um, a left fielder. I never really wanted to pitch because I thought it would wreck my arm, you know, for football. So I, I never pitched, but I could have been a pitcher if I wanted to because I did have a very, very strong arm at, at a young age. But baseball just wasn't fast enough for me. You know, it just it just didn't have these, the same um, excitement that 
that uh, football and basketball had for me had had for me because uh, it didn't move as fast. So that's one of the reasons why I moved away from baseball. But like I said, I was very talented at it. But football was a little bit more of a a challenge for me, especially playing quarterback at that time when you didn't see a lot of African American quarterbacks and. Um, I felt like I was really good at that position. I had a strong arm as a young kid. Uh, I had leadership abilities as a young kid because of that maturity that I gained when I was seven years old. And and uh, so I felt like football was going to be my best ticket, you know, to get out of the the environment that I was in. Hamilton High School, you went to, uh, and at the quarterback position, you didn't start till your junior year. Um, and and really, when I go over your life and, and your road to to eventually being a Hall of Fame quarterback, it wasn't the 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 atypical road of, oh, I start as a freshman. I play my four years. I signed with that big school. I had 100 schools court uh, courting me. Uh, yours was kind of a unique thing and, and, and an amazing journey on where you ended up in, in the history of, of the NFL. But tell me about. Uh, you became the starter at Hamilton High as a junior, junior and senior year. And then you went to West Los Angeles College uh, for a year and killed it. I saw the numbers. Um, but tell me what led to that. And, and was there what were your expectations coming out of high school? Did you want to go to that big, you know, USC, probably being in L.A.? That would probably be the the, the obvious choice. But uh, tell me how you got to, to West Los Angeles College. You know, I wanted to go to a school where they threw the football, and uh, you know, USC was known as tailback U, so they were going to run the football with, you know, Marcus Allen at that time or Charles White. Those were were the running backs. They had both won Heisman trophies. Um, you know, Anthony Davis before that, and Ricky Bell. I mean, OJ Simpson before that. So that that's what that school was known for. They weren't going to be throwing the ball all around the yard, even though I had great respect for USC. Uh, UCLA was running the Veer at that time, so that's not a place where I really wanted to go because they were running the option. And for some reason, you know, people thought I was this this great athlete that could run the football. But no, I was I was a passer, and and that's what I wanted everybody to know that that that's what I was. Um, in high school, you know, like you said, I started as a junior, started as a senior. Um, it was an all-city, you know, quarterback. Made some All-American teams. Uh, was West Side Player of the Year. I made I made all the honors that you would you would think you need to to get noticed uh, to play quarterback at one of those big schools that I was looking at. And I was looking at like Cal, the University of Cal at Berkeley. Um, Stanford was throwing the ball at that time because Jim Plunkett would, had just come out of there. Um, Steve Barkowski had been at Cal, so I wanted to go to a school where they dropped back and threw the football because that's I felt like was the only way you can get to the NFL is you got to be in a, a pro style offense. But none of those schools would recruit me, and um, it was very very uh, disappointing because, like I said, I felt like I could throw the ball with anybody. Um, I just needed the needed the opportunity, but again, because of you know the color of my skin at that time, and uh, there just wasn't a lot of those schools that were looking for for African American quarterbacks to play in those pro style offenses. So, um, I had to go to junior college for a year. I had, I had committed to go to Arizona State with Frank Cush. He was the coach there, and uh, they ended up signing the two top high school quarterbacks in the nation that year and they told me after I had committed there that they were going to switch me to defensive back 
And I decommitted from there and said, I'm not coming here to play defensive back. I was recruited as a quarterback. That's the position I want to play. I've never played defensive back before. And uh, so I decommitted. And that's why I decided to go to a junior college for a year, just to kind of show more schools that, that I had the ability to throw the football. And, and that's the reason why I went. I didn't want to go to junior college coming out of high school, but that's kind of the cards that were dealt to me. So I went with that opportunity. It is amazing to hear you talk about it, too. It's, and, and you said it did have something to do with the color of your skin. They wanted to turn you into a different position because the prototypical, oh, there's not too many African-American, you know, quarterbacks that go to a high level. The NFL especially, it's amazing. And, and to see how things have changed through the years, you were kind of back yeah. there when that was a real that was a real thing that you had to deal with. So you go to West, West Los Angeles, you kill it, and then you sign with uh, – with the University of Washington, UW, and yeah. uh, got to play for Don James. Uh, walk me through those years at, at, at UW. Yeah, Don James came in. That was his first year, and I was one of his uh, you know first recruits. Um, we didn't have a very good football team the year before. I think they were two and nine. Uh, that was a team that he was taking over, so he knew he had to really recruit and get the talent base up um, before we could uh, you know turn the program around and. Um, I was the only. I was first. First of all, the the first African American quarterback to ever start at the University of Washington. So that that was different to everybody. And then I came up and I I beat out a fifth year you know senior uh, who was from Seattle. And uh, we didn't get off to a great start. We were losing football games early. We, we you know we played the University of Texas. We played Alabama down in Alabama. We had a very very tough schedule. So we weren't winning and. Uh, People were not liking me very much. They weren't liking me or the coach, but definitely not me. And uh, I took a lot of I took a lot of criticism. I took a lot of booing. I took a lot of uh, you know nasty letters. I took a lot of name calling. I took a lot of uh, just crap uh, for you know a young eighteen year old kid who's away from home for the first time and didn't know a whole lot of people in Seattle. So yeah, it was a very tough year. My first year there, my into my second year, but we finally got things turned around. Uh, towards my senior year, and uh, we ended up winning the the Pac-8 championship, and we went on and played Michigan in the Rose Bowl, and I was the MVP of the uh, of the conference, and also the MVP of the Rose Bowl. So my career turned out really good up there, but it, you know it took a uh, took a while to turn things around as far as getting the right type of players in our program in order to make us a winning program. But uh, I knew it was going to be difficult when I went up there because I knew it was a, a rebuilding project, and uh, I just didn't know it was going to be the nastiness and how personal it became with some of the stuff that was coming out at me. So uh, as a quarterback, you understand that if things aren't going well, you're going to probably get a lot of the criticism and you're probably going to get a lot more praise than you deserve when things are going well. But uh, like I said, I just didn't think it would be so personal, but I learned a lot and I learned a lot about myself as far as being able to, uh, you know, handle adversity and, and, uh, kind of persevere my way through it. While I got a quick second, want to give a shout out to DraftKings. We've partnered with DraftKings now, and they are the official sponsor of the Boone Podcast. Dan? 
Hey, thanks, Boone. Football fans, who's ready to score some free bets? Now you can when you bet on any NFL game this week with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers who bet just $1 on either team to score can win $100 in free bets. When a team scores, you score. Hey, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So why wait? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code BOONE, B-O-O-N-E, bet $1 on either team to score, and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score. With promo code BOONE this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to my interview with Hall of Famer Warren Moon. Yeah, pretty unbelievable. So 77, is, you mentioned you beat Michigan in the Rose Bowl. Upset. And you're, you're Pack 8 player of the year. And it seems like, you know, we talked about it. It's like, I, you know, I can throw the ball as good as anybody coming out of high school. I just didn't have the teams recruiting me that I, you know, the, the, the places I wanted to go. Now, all of a sudden, you're player of the year. You're coming off a Rose Bowl win. And and now the NFL draft's coming. And you're in. From what I understand, you're hearing that you're going to be a late pick, if at all. Take me to through the uh, your preparation for the draft. Uh, do you have an agent at the time? Yeah, I hired Lee Steinberg as my agent. Uh, you know, he was recruiting me throughout my senior year, and uh, we had a thing in common that we both went to the same high school. He went to Hamilton High School probably five years before I did, and. Uh, he had, he had uh, represented Steve Barkowski, who was the first overall pick in 1975. So, you know, he was a guy that I felt like would do a great job for me. And, um, and he really did, but he was, you know, he was dealing with some very interesting circumstances because a lot of teams, again, were not going to draft me as a quarterback. They wanted to draft me at a, and move me to another position. Or if I did get drafted as a quarterback, it would have been, you know, much further down the down the draft. That was what his due diligence was telling him from all the research that he was that he was doing on me. So that's when the Canadian Football League came and approached me as well. And and Hugh Campbell, who was the head coach at that time, you know, he sat me down and said, you know, I think you can be a great player in Canada, but I also think you can be a great player in in, in the NFL. Why they don't, you know, want to want to draft you high I'm really not sure but it's going to be to our benefit if you decide to come to Edmonton so I had to kind of weigh you know my choices um, the pros and cons of do I want to give up my dream of playing in the NFL and, and go to a country where I don't know much about the league up there uh, I'm going to be you know up there by myself um, don't know much about Edmonton Alberta at all or do I want to take my chances of maybe getting drafted as a quarterback or or maybe having to change positions uh, so I went with I went with the opportunity that was more um, that was more certain that I was going to give be given an opportunity to play quarterback, and then I'll let the rest of it fall from there. And 
I was kind of a stubborn guy. I was kind of a determined guy, and I had a lot of confidence that I could play quarterback no matter where you put me. So th- that's what I went with. I went with the Canadian Football League offer, and um, again, it was kind of bittersweet because they gave me a great financial deal. I was going to a really good organization, but uh, I was giving up my chance to play in the National Football League, something I had worked a long time for. When you made that decision, and, and I think you signed, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you signed six weeks before the NFL draft with the Edmonton right. Eskimos. Yeah, um, I, had to sign, I had to sign early because their season started early. You know, they, they started in July where the NFL didn't start till, um, you know, August, September. So I had to make my decision a little bit earlier, and that kind of made everything uh, you know, move a little bit faster as well. But uh, now, because I signed early, now I'm hoping that I don't get drafted by an NFL team because if I don't get drafted and I'm a free agent, if I ever wanted to come back and play in the National Football League, and, and thank God I didn't get drafted um, that day because somebody could have drafted me if they wanted to just keep my rights. Somebody could have drafted me if one day they think, okay, he's not going to make it up there or, or whatever, and we can we can take him and either try and make a quarterback out of him or, or try and switch his position. Maybe he'll, be, he'll want to do that, but... Nobody did, which was great, and uh, that's that, that's what kind of set everything else in motion after all my success in Canada. Yeah, because I was thinking, I'm thinking, all right, what is Warren thinking? He's getting on a plane. He's going to Canada. He, all, all you, you know, as a kid, of course, I'm growing up baseball player. All I want to do is get to the big leagues. Right. And that, that would be like me getting on a plane going, all right, you're going to Japan. You're going to play exactly. here, I, I, you know, and I was wondering what's going through your your mind. Like, all right, is this it? Am I ever going to get to the NFL or, or am I just going to be a Canadian League uh, player? Uh, obviously, it worked out unbelievable. I mean, you go there from 78 to 83. And I, I actually got a chance to play in Edmonton. I, I played for the Calgary Cannons and, and uh, you know, it was, it, it, who, who was it? The Stampeders? Is that who they are? Calgary yeah, Stampeders. Calgary Stampeders. Yeah, let me and you, let me uh, show you a little bit of trivia. I I invested into the uh, Edmonton Trappers, which was their Triple uh, A team up there. That's right. They, that's that's the league won, I was in, the, the Pacific they Coast League. Triple the They won the Triple A championship, and I have a ring to this day, a championship ring from winning the championship in Triple A because I was a part owner of it. <laughs> oh, of the Trappers, yeah. In, in my time, it was Flutie was getting all the headlines. You know, it was ninety. I think it was ninety ninety two. 92 yeah, and Flutie was having his in 84. Yeah. Flutie was having his time in, in Canada. Um, tell me about the CFL bigger field field goal. The, the thing I noticed as a, as a layman football guy, uh, a baseball guy is the goalposts in the, fr- in the front of the end zone. That seemed like it would screw me, screw you up. But um, you know, it used to be that way in the NFL. The NFL yeah. Way back when, guy. way back when. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it used to be that way. They just kept it that way. And, and a lot of people don't understand that the Canadian Football League is older than the National Football League. The Canadian Football League has been around since the 1800s. Uh, it, it's a very old league. There's a lot of tradition, a lot of history. 
Uh, and I learned a lot of that after I went up there. And, and like you said, the game is totally different. It's it's a totally different uh, way you approach it because of the three downs as opposed to four downs. Feels a little bit wider, 10 yards longer. Um, the game moves a whole lot faster than the NFL game does, and you've got to be able to throw the football up there because of, with only two down, three downs, you, you've got to be able to you know, move those chains so you're not running the football a ton. And when you do run it, you've got to have success running it. So um, I love the way the game was played up there. You know, I went to, it like I said, a great organization, a uh, veteran football team. I didn't have to be a leader coming in there. I could just learn the game, learn the rules, and play. And we had a tremendous amount of success my first five years there. We won championship every year. Um, and I really enjoyed playing up there. I enjoyed the fact that I wasn't judged by the color of my skin up there. Um, if I got booed, it was because I was the, the opposing team, which is that's usually what happens when the opposing team is out there. You get booed. But my, but my home team, um, we had great fans. I was being paid very well while I was up there. So there was a period of time where I thought I was going to spend the rest of my career up there. That's why I had signed a, another three-year contract after I signed my first contract. But then after I started having so much success up there, in the back of my mind, you know, I'm watching NFL games on TV when, when we're done playing or whatever, and I'm still kind of looking and saying, you know, I can do what this guy's doing right here, or I can do what that guy's doing. But the only way you can find out if you can play against the best players in the world is to do it. So that's why I decided to uh, to come back to the National Football League and uh, and play play in the league because at that time scouts were coming up and watching me play a ton. Uh, there were teams that were already after me before my contract was even over. Even even the Houston Oilers, who I ended up going with, tried to get me out of my contract uh, the year before it was over, but Edmonton wouldn't let me out. So. I ended up playing my last year there, and uh, um, because I was a free agent, I had like eight teams that were bidding for my services to, to come back to the to the league. And you know, I did a whole tour of all the different cities. Uh, you know, met all the organizations, all the different people, and created a, a nice buzz for myself. And Lee Steinberg had a lot to do with with orchestrating all that. And by the time I ended up signing with, um, I mean, with Houston, it came down to Houston and Seattle because I I thought I was going to come back and play for the Seattle Seahawks. But their financial package wasn't as good as as Houston's was. And um, so I decided to go to Houston and I became the highest paid player in the league coming back to the league. So here's a guy who nobody wanted to play quarterback coming out of college. And now all of a sudden I'm the highest paid player in the NFL. I, I was I was going to say that that had to be pretty cool. I mean, with the, the your, your childhood and and being the man of the house at a young age, you had to go to a JC. You have a great senior year at UW, Player of the Year. Nobody's interested now. All of a sudden, everybody wants Warren Moon. You only won five Grey Cups in a row, 78 to 82. You threw for 5,000 yards in 82 and 5,600 plus in 83. For a guy that's done it all now, Division I college, Canadian Football League, NFL, where does the Canadian football fall as far as the physicality, talent level? Kind of right there in between where it should be? There's a lot of guys in the NFL that, that tried to come up to Canada and couldn't make the transition because their games didn't didn't transfer. Vince Ferragamo came up uh, from the Rams uh, as a quarterback and went to Montreal and and did nothing. Uh, he just couldn't adapt to the game because his game didn't translate to to the style of play up in Canada. Um, 
there was a lot of other players that either tried to come up or players in Canada who had good careers and tried to go back down and they couldn't make the, the transition because their game was more suited for the Canadian Football League game. So there's no question overall the best players are in the National Football League. But again, there's a lot of guys in the, in the NFL that just couldn't come up and make that transition and vice versa. I think one of the things that made me uh, successful in both leagues is because I was a very versatile player. I could, I could throw the football on the run. I could run the football. I could throw it from the pocket. Uh, my arm was strong enough to take advantage of the wide field in Canada, but I also had a strong enough arm when I came to the NFL where the windows were a little bit smaller to throw the football into. I had a strong enough arm to get the ball into those places. So, you know, my game trans translated um, to a lot of different styles. So if you notice, uh, looking through my stats or whatever, every team that I played for, I was very productive on, on every team. And no, it didn't matter what offense you put me in, I could adapt to it. What was Canada's reaction? Do you remember back then when they said Warren Moon's going to the NFL? I think they understood. I know there were a lot of people that were sad I was leaving, but they also felt like, um, you know, I was up there for six years. Uh, the things I was able to do while I was up there, uh, I don't think I, anybody felt cheated that I came up there for a year or two and, and then I, you know, took back off. You know, I was up there for six years. And I think most people understood that. I had done so much while I was up there. They understood that, okay, he's looking for, you know, a better opportunity and maybe going back to play at home in a place where he always wanted to play as a young kid. So I think most people understood that. Support for the Boone podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. And guys, when it came to the equipment I used on the field, it was so important. From the bat I used to the glove I used to the spikes I wore. And when it comes to personal grooming, just as picky, Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. Imagine shaving with a sleek, well-designed, and optimized trimmer that makes shaving time your favorite time in the bathroom. I'm one of the first people to try the new 4.0, and I'm blown away by the performance, the craftsmanship, and the details on the 4.0 are next level. Also, the underwear. The underwear is unbelievable. They're as comfortable as any underwear I've ever worn. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BOON. That's promo code BOON at manscaped.com. Com. And now back to my interview with Hall of Famer Warren Moon. Signed with the Oilers, uh, their quarterback, Gifford Nielsen. He, he hears Warren Moon's coming. He retires before the, even, the season even starts. <laughs> and um, that first year, you've got to be you've, – you've personally got to have a lot of uh, high expectations. All the winning you did over in Canada, you're, get, you're finally getting your shot that you, that you earned probably seven years ago but aren't getting it until now. Um, how was that first year for you? I know you, you threw for 3,300 yards. Team didn't do very well that first season in Houston. You didn't inherit a, a great team. But going into that season, did you have any – did you have expectations to, that you put on yourself or, or was it just, no, it's football and I'm a quarterback. You know, the first thing I wanted to um, prove to myself that I belonged and uh, I wanted to gain the confidence of, of my team. And, you know, you, people hear all, you know, all the, all the hoopla about me coming down and, you know, the money that I'm being paid or whatever. So the, the main thing I wanted to establish in my locker room and on my football team was, 
you know, this guy can play. So that's what I wanted to set out to do was, was show the guys that I had great work ethic, that I was going to be one of the first guys in the building every day. I was going to be one of the last ones to leave. Um, and then once I got out on the field, they could see that I had talent. So you wanted to earn the respect of your guys. And that was the main thing I wanted to do. I, I didn't need everybody to like me or, or be my buddy, but I wanted them all to respect me that, that I could play the game and, and that I could be a guy that they could count on. So I think they all knew that. Um, again, we weren't a very good football team. We were really young. Uh, it was a rebuilding process. Kind of reminded me of what happened when I came to the University of Washington. You know, the team was two and fourteen the year before I got there, um, and they were just stripping and stripping the team down. Errol Campbell was traded. You know, Robert Brazil and different guys like that were all you know let go. So it was we, we were just stripping it down to the bare bones and st- starting it back up again. So I knew it was going to be a tough year that way. Um, and I tried to go out there and, and, and play as you know as hard as I could and, and take the lumps because you know we didn't have we had a very young offensive line but very talented but they were young and I took a lot of I took a lot of punishment that first year because we were behind in a lot of games and we had to throw the football a lot so all of that I think showed my 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 uh, teammates that, that you know this guy's tough and uh, we have a chance with him somewhere down the road so. Uh, that first year, like you said, was really tough, and, and it was even tougher, you know, for me because again, that same old thing started to creep back out of, of um, you know, the fans being very, very nasty and critical, and and the racism really, really came out and showed, you know, being down there in the South. And at this time, I had gone through it before at the University of Washington, so it didn't bother me. But now I have a family; I have three kids at the time, and my wife was pregnant with our fourth, so they had to deal with that. My, you know, my son having to you know, come to my locker after a game in tears because he didn't understand why people were calling me all these names. And, and, uh, so he's, you know, seven, eight years old and he didn't really understand what was, what was going on. So I had to try and explain that to him. And then I finally had to get a, a, a private box for my family to be able to watch the game in and not have to worry about hearing all that crap. So it, it was a, it was a different time, uh, those first couple of years there in, in Houston until we turned things around. But, Again, that, that's just things you had to deal with during that time and during that time of uh, of living in the early '80s and and uh, and the transition of playing at quarterback as an African American. Unbelievable. Um, Hugh Campbell, uh, Jerry Glanville comes down. I think he took over for Hugh Campbell, who he had played for in Canada. Um, what was your what was your opinion of Jerry Glanville? Did did he was he the guy that kind of helped get the Oilers turned around in the right direction? Well, I don't really think so, but um, you know he found a way to, to you know Hugh Campbell hired him as defensive coordinator, and and uh, Hugh I don't think was given enough time in order to turn the thing around. He was given a year, and I think four games into the second year, then all of a sudden he got fired and. One of the big reasons I came to Houston was because of him, because I had had a lot of success with him in Edmonton, won all five championships with him as our head coach. And I thought, you know, going with him, he was a guy that understood me, knew my personality, knew what I was made of, and, and vice versa. I knew who, what, who he was as a coach. So I thought we could maybe go there and, and maybe not have the same success, but definitely be able to turn that that organization around and make it a winner. But I don't think he was given the time. So... I was very disappointed when he got fired and and to a point where I almost thought I wanted to ask, ask for a trade because I didn't really like 
you know, Jerry Glanville's style. I didn't like um, the system that he was going to run, and I just didn't think it was best for me. But I ended up sticking it out, and, um, you know, we, we eventually got things turned around, and we became a, a playoff team, and, uh, and a lot of that had to do with just our talent, you know, just make, giving us a bit more talent to work with. 88's when you start coming into your own, uh, your Pro Bowl, your Pro Bowler nine times over your career, but from 88 to 93, you're, 93 is your last year in Houston. You're a Pro Bowler every year. Threw for 4,600 yards in 1990. Again in 1991, 4,600 yards. Talk about the AFC back then. Bills were tough. Uh, tough division. You got to the postseason a, a bunch of times. Um, yeah, just talk about the AFC through that through that 88 to 93 stretch. Yeah, the AFC was tough and we were in the we were probably in one of the toughest divisions, the AFC Central where you had Pittsburgh, uh, Cincinnati, ourselves and uh and Cleveland. And we were battling it out every year and and there was a couple of years where three of our teams out of that division went to the playoffs, but you know, we would beat each other up so much throughout the regular season. By the time any of us got to the got to the uh, playoffs, uh, we just didn't have anything left. Just trying to get to the playoffs because our division was so tough. But um, I loved playing in that division. Um, you know, we were an indoor team. We played, you know, at the Astrodome. But when you went out on the road, you had to go to Cincinnati or, or Pittsburgh or, or Cleveland, Ohio, where it got really cold there, especially when it got to be November, December. So you had to learn how to play in, in that uh, in that weather. But because I had played in Canada all those years, I was pretty used to it. So I had some of my bigger games of my career, you know, playing in bad weather. So that, that didn't really bother me. But it, it does bother a indoor football team because – we were built differently. You're built for speed when you have a, an indoor team, and you're not built for you know playing on the grass or or playing that in that type of weather. Our our offenses were about throwing the football all around the place, and and uh, when you go to those places, you better be able to run the football because the weather's probably going to be bad, and not not going to allow you to throw it as successful. How do you like playing in the dome? I used to, you know what when I came to Houston before they built the new stadium. I like playing in the dome. It was a big yard. It wasn't a home run, you know, it wasn't a homer park, but the gaps were big. And, you know, that's back uh, for the people listening to the Boone podcast. This is back when turf was turf, you know, before all this new turf and, and yeah. the good stuff we got nowadays, we played on the, on the, you know, the beginning, which I remember playing in Montreal. I mean, they, I don't think they ever changed that turf Warren no. and you get there as a young man, it's easy. But as you get older, you start getting the, the aches and pains from playing on that turf. It's a faster game. Did you like playing in the Dome? You know, I loved it as far as the crowd and the noise in that because uh, it definitely gave us a home field advantage. But like you said, that turf was pretty bad. And they finally changed it. But they used to use the same turf uh, that they use for the Astros that they use for us in football. They, all they would do is, was, uh, put some big patches in where the base, where the base pads were and where the pitcher's mound was and all that. And there were a lot of guys that blew their knees out because of those big seams in the turf yeah. from, from where they had to, you know, zip, zip those, uh, big patches in. So finally they got to the point where they, they had our own turf where we had one for football and one for baseball. And, and that, that I, I really, really enjoyed playing on. But before that, yeah, it was, it was tough you were always out there trying to make sure you were careful because you didn't want to you know rip your leg up you know playing on that thing so again the crowd was great there it was noisy um but there was uh some caution in playing on that type of field 
After the '93 season, you've been a you've been an uh, an Oiler for a long time. Uh, you get traded to the Vikings, uh, and you play there from '94 to '96. '94, uh, you're a Pro Bowler again. '95, you're a Pro Bowler again, thrown for 4,200 plus yards. Um, how was your time? Did you enjoy your time, in Minnesota? You know, I did. You know, I played for uh, for Denny Green and. Um, he was probably one of the more motivational coaches that I played for. Um, he was a guy that really took care of the players as far as wanted us to be really fresh and uh, prepared on Sunday afternoons. He didn't try and beat you up in practice. Um, it was the first place I went to where they actually had a you know, a full cafeteria for the players. He wanted to make sure the players always had two meals a day in their body. And, and knowing young guys, he, he knew that they probably weren't going to eat right at night. So he wanted to make sure you had a good breakfast in the morning and a good lunch in the afternoon. And then you were on your own at night. And hopefully you got a good meal in your in your system then too. But all those things were important to him: diet, you know, being rested, and uh, our practices were were really crisp but short. And uh, we spent a lot more time in the meeting room to make sure we were on top of it that way mentally. But I love playing for him, and um, you know, I, I just had a couple of injuries when I was there that really cut my my time uh, short there. I had a you know, a really bad ankle injury in my third season there, I think it was, right at the start of the season. And instead of me trying to just take time off and, and getting the thing healed again, I tried to play on it. And, and all it did was uh, make it worse. And uh, I wasn't as effective as I should have been. And so as I look back at it, I should have um, I should have taken that time off. But I wanted to play. I wanted to be there for my team. And that, that's probably something that that uh, again we talk about regrets when you played that was probably one of the regrets that I had in Minnesota was trying to play hurt Uh, after that 96 season you're off to Seattle Um, and that was after your injury the injury riddled year you had in 96 you're a pro bowler once again and uh, that year you're the MVP of the pro bowl Uh, you were you were in Seattle for a brief time Uh, take me through those just that brief time in Seattle. Yeah, again, I, you know, I come in there and, and I end up, you know, starting and uh, you know having a really good year. And um, like you said, going to a Pro Bowl. Um, we didn't make the playoffs that year, though, and, and that was something that was was uh, disappointing to me because I thought our team was probably good enough to, to make it to the playoffs, but we didn't. I think we finished one game short. And then the next year, I'm coming off of a you know an All Pro year. Um, and then I, I, I uh, break my ribs in, I think, the fourth game of the season. And uh, it, was a, it was a night game. It was with Kansas City in a, in a pouring rainstorm. And, and I, I get hit up under my pad and, and, and break my ribs. And, again, instead of me not taking the time and, and not playing and, and getting myself healthy, I keep trying to play every week. And I was getting shot up every day in practice just so I could practice. I was getting shot up in the game at halftime and before the game so I wouldn't feel the pain in, in my ribs. And, again, I just wasn't effective. And at this time, I'm 41 years old. And and uh, as you get older, you you, <laughs> you feel like you got to be out there or they'll use anything they can to, to get rid of you, right? So that's my that was my mindset. I got to play. I got to go out there and play regardless of what the situation is, no matter how I feel. Or I probably won't have my job anymore because I, I watched older guys get cut like that throughout my years in the league for for 
you know, for all types of different things, whether they were making too much money, whether they got injured, uh, performance, whatever it might have been. So I'm thinking that same way. And instead of me taking the time to get myself healthy, I'm out there playing and shooting all this stuff in my body. So, again, looking back at my career, those are the things that you regret. Yeah, but I think, too, you know, and, and uh, you know, you might feel the same way. We, we play with a, a lot of guys throughout our careers. And you got those guys that, you know, they won't play injured at all. Right. And then you got the guys like I was, like you were, you know, the things you went through to get on the field. That's just kind of how we were built. You know, yep. it's like if I can get out there, there's a difference between being hurt and injured. Sometimes we weren't very good. You know, I had a few times in my career where I probably shouldn't have been out there, but that my mentality was hey, these guys are counting on me, even if it was, you know, even if it wasn't the smartest decision, I don't think you can really take that out of a guy. I mean, even if you could go back now at, at the age that you are now, you could probably go back and tell that young warm, OK, we're going to sit over here on the sidelines. But I think if you had to go do it again, I I, I just don't see people changing like that. We are what we are and we just want to play. We don't always make the greatest decisions, but sometimes we do. <laughs> you know, and it, it's just the way we're built. And, and like I said, on the other side of the ledger, there's those teammates I'm sure you had. I definitely had that, man, if the, if Randy Johnson was pitching tomorrow and they were a left-handed hitter, they might be on the bench. They might come up with a little hammy. And that's just <laughs> the way they were wired. And, yeah. uh, you know, so yeah. so I don't know. I, I, I think about that a lot, too. Like, should I have played? Should I have done this? It would have been better for me. I had that in 95. Uh, or I'm sorry, 96, I was in Cincinnati and I got this <clears throat> these elbow chips and I kept getting it drained during spring training. And finally, the doctor came and he said, you got to get these chips removed. It's going to blow up every time you exert it. So I said, how long is the surgery? So we'll do the surgery. He said, it's probably, you know, eight weeks. Oh, eight weeks. So I finished the surgery. Doc, when do you think, when when am I eligible to come off the DL and, and play? Well, you're eligible here, but you're not going to play for another month. Well, I held him to when I was eligible. And I remember Wrigley Field. Uh, Ray Knight was the manager of the Reds, and, and I, w I forced my way onto this trip. They weren't even going to take me on the road trip because they said, you're not eligible to come off. You know, we're not going to take you off the DL. And I said, yeah, I'm going. And I remember it was a cold day at Wrigley Field. And I went to my skipper, Ray Knight, and I said, Ray, I'm ready to play. He looked at me like, yeah, whatever. I said, let's go play catch. The cold day, I'm out there and my elbow's killing me. Then I'm firing it as hard as I can, pretending like I'm just fine. He calls back to Cincinnati. They, they activate me. I start that game. I had two months. I played so bad offensively. I shouldn't have come back for another month. But those are just things, and, and those yeah. are just sometimes how we're wired. This is an interesting point in your career for me that I just wanted to see your reaction. With all the accolades you've accumulated to this point, all the Pro Bowls, the Grey Cups, uh, you're at a point in your career where you're going to be a backup, and you're backing up Elvis Gerbeck in Kansas City in the 99 season. For somebody that is as accomplished as Warren Moon, how was that for you? Did you did you take that role uh, appreciatively, or were you kind of? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Take me take me through that year of all these years. You're always the man. You're always going to the post every time. Everybody knows you're the man. All of a sudden, you're holding the clipboard. A completely different animal. Was that all right for you, or, or did you hate it? 
You know, I, I didn't enjoy it. There's no question about it because I was used to being, <laughs> I figured you'd say that. being the main guy. But when I went to Kansas City, I, they told me that Elvis was their starter. But they kind of wanted me there because of my experience uh, that Elvis had a history of, of injuries that he had never really made it through a whole season. And there was a great opportunity maybe for you to be the starter there. So that was one of the reasons why I went to Kansas City. At this time in my career, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking for a championship. I'm, I'm trying to chase a championship. I'm trying to look for a team where I could play but also has a, a chance to maybe win a championship. So that was one of the reasons I signed with – with Kansas City. Um, and it just didn't turn out that way. Elvis ended up having his best year of his career when I got there. And uh, it, it just never happened. He never got hurt, and he was playing really well. So because of that, there was no reason for them to make a change. So that that's what that's what made me be a backup my last year, my last two years, was was backing him up, wondering if he was going to you know get hurt or not play well so I'd get a chance to get on the field. But that never really happened. He, he played as well as uh, he played in his whole career. And uh, I ended up being a backup my last two years. I thought I was a good backup. I did I, I did things to try and help him. Uh, I helped a lot of young players. You know, I helped develop Tony Gonzalez uh, as a tight end because he had had a lot of problems when he was drafted in the first round. And I worked with him a lot after practice every day. And, and everybody knows what he became um, just because of, of the mental thing that, that he had to get over. And, and I helped him with that. And he became one of my closest friends on the team. So there was some good things about being a backup on the team, but that, that's not the way I really wanted to finish my career um, because I had had so much success like you talked about. But at, at that point, I probably – if anything, should have retired. But again, I'm trying to get on a championship team or try and uh, win a championship before I retire. Retire after that that uh, second year in Kansas City. Retire with over fifty thousand yards passing. Um, and, you, and you're headed on to your second career. You're going to the booth. Uh, I think it was '04 through through 2017. Uh, you enjoy it? You did it long enough. You did it 14 years. Yeah, I loved it, you know, because I couldn't play the game anymore physically, but I definitely knew a lot about the game and, and I could talk about it and, and I could be around it. And that was the thing that I loved about it. I could, you know, still go out to practice every day. And, and I was with the Seahawks at that time and I was, you know, I could watch them practice and I could, you know, have relationships with the players and, and uh, mentor some of the younger guys. And I'm still able to go to, you know, to all the different, stadiums around the country and, and see different either players or coaches that I played against or coaches that I coached and played against. Um, a lot of the guys that I played with or played against are now becoming coaches. So, so many relationships out there when you're out on the road. So just being around the game of football that I had been around since I was, what, 11 years old, it was it was just great to be able to, to do that, even though I wasn't able to go out there and actually play. 2000, 2001, uh, you're inducted in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. Uh, but the big day comes uh, 2006. Not only the Titans Hall of Fame, now the Titans. Obviously, it was your Oiler days. Your right. number one is retired, which uh, I always think is the cool thing. You know, and I talk to guys that I have on the program and I – I just say, you know, the Hall of Fame is one thing, but getting your number retired, no one can ever wear it again with that organization. That's a pretty cool thing. But you got the ultimate. And I've had recently on the Boom Podcast, we've had Andre Reed and John Lynch, who recently went into the Hall of Fame. Steve Largent, 
Uh, he went on and on, and they always talked about that gold jacket. 2006, uh, take me through that phone call. The ultimate honor, Hall of Fame, NFL. Wow. You know, what a day. You know, it was my first year eligibility, and, and you're not sure, you know, what's going to happen. People are saying different things. Some people are saying he's not gonna, you're not going to make it this first time. Other people are saying you have a chance. And it's, it's out of your hands. The only thing that you really had control of was, was playing every weekend. And, and once, it, once you're done, it, it comes down to, you know, there's 39, I guess, 39 voters in that room. And, and uh, it's what they thought of your career and, and everything you did on and off the field or whatever. So... I remember I was in Detroit, which is where the Super Bowl was that year, and that's where they make the announcement. And I was in Detroit because the Seahawks were in the Super Bowl, and I was going to broadcast the game. So I was already there. And um, I remember the morning of the announcement, I did a, a, a football camp for kids. I was trying to do anything I could to keep myself busy and just keep myself occupied, so I stopped thinking about it. And, you know, my phone's ringing off the hook. There's family. There's friends. Everybody's calling me and wondering if I've heard anything yet. And I'm like, no, they're not going to make the announcement till later on this evening. Just, just kind of leave me alone. Um, so around uh, two o'clock, three o'clock, my um. My presenter, who who is our beat writer, John McClain, he calls me on the phone and says, "Warren, I think you should come down to the uh, to the hotel where they're going to make the press have the press conference because you're down to the final eight, and and they're gonna they're gonna pick five, and I think you're gonna, you're probably going to make you know the top five. And I'm like, John, I don't want to go down there, and I don't get picked, and and uh, I'm standing around like, what are, what are you doing here, and. I don't want to be embarrassed of anything, you know. So, you know, I'm, I, he he tries to talk me into it. So I get off the phone. I tell him I'll think about it. So I talk to my wife about it, and she talks me into to going down there. So we we get in the car and we're driving downtown from our team hotel to uh, to where the uh, the announcement is going to be made downtown in Detroit. And I get a phone call, and the phone call comes from a lady with the NFL. I had asked about some tickets for some friends of mine for a tailgate party on Sunday before the game and she she and I thought that was a call that I was you know getting at that time and, and she's like I got you those tickets that you uh, asked for so I'll leave them and we'll call for you blah 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 I'm like well thank you very much and she's like by the way congratulations on being inducted in the Pro Football Hall of Fame I'm like what are you talking about? I haven't heard from anybody. She's like, it's going across the ticker tape now on the TV that uh, you just, you were one of the, uh, one of the selected, selected ones. And I'm like, I haven't heard anything from anybody. So I'm not, I'm not getting happy at all. And as soon as I hang up the phone with her, I get a call and that's the call. That, that was the call from the hall of fame telling me that I was one of the ones selected. And, uh, I'm driving down the freeway. It's kind of sleeting. It's kind of snowing. And, I had to pull my car over to the side of the road because I just burst into tears. And everything that I had gone through from the time I started playing the position, um, everybody that had told me I couldn't do this, I couldn't do that, all the booing, all the name-calling, all of that came out of me at one time. And, and I'm not a real emotional play, person, but uh, I cried like a baby. And my wife had to take the wheel of the car to get us to the side of the road. Otherwise, we would have had an accident. But that's how emotional it was. It was probably one of the most emotional moments in my life. And um, uh, that's how I found out the news that I was inducted. And I had to get it together before I got to the hotel to try and, you know, answer questions once I got there because I was still, I still had tears coming down my face uh, when I got into the hotel and into the room where the, uh, the press conference was being held because it was such an emotional time for me. 
That's very cool. Uh, why'd you wear number one? I think I know the answer. Tell, t- know, tell the audience, was, though. <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a reminder. It was a reminder to me of where I always wanted to be as far as uh, I wanted to be the best. And uh, it was also a reminder to my team, as the, me being the leader, that they saw that on my back or on my front, that this is where we always want to finish. So that was something that I always talked about with our team is we want to be the best. We want to be number one. And, and that number one, I think, was always a reminder. And and it, it also forced me to be a little bit more responsible because if I'm going to wear that number on my back and the reason why I'm wearing it is because of those reasons I just talked about, I had to take more accountability to make sure I was doing everything possible to make sure that that's how we finished. Warren, I was watching a video, Warren Moon video, and uh, it was cool because it hit me. It hit home with me. It opens with you. Uh, you're in a gym lifting weights. And and I don't remember exactly what you said, but the gist of it was we train for a reason. We train smart. We we think smart. I don't know. Take me. Do you know that video I'm talking about? I don't know what I said in it. <laughs> you said something about why we train in the gym. And I've got a, uh, you know, I, w- I was big, especially late in my career in Seattle. I was big into the gym and nutrition and, and people, are, why do you train so hard? Well, I don't train hard to hit home runs. I train hard because baseball is 162 games and it's really hard. And the wear and tear right. in your body, bigger, stronger is going to protect my body. But I trained for that, that mental edge. And I pass that on to the younger generation. You train harder than the next guy. So you, when they look you in the eye, they knew you out-trained them. I don't know. It was something about that that hit me. That said, that that's really interesting what he said. It was something like, I don't know, train smart, play smart. <laughs> I don't know. You don't remember it. But why did you train? What was the importance of, of keeping your body and, and mind strong? You know, that was something I really learned in, in college uh, under Don James, and and um, I really took that that approach into the National Football League and just kept building on it. And as I got with different uh, strength coaches that I worked with, uh, Steve Watterson being one at the, at the Houston Oilers, uh, that was once I saw that I was going to start throwing the football a ton. I, again, what you were just talking about, the mental edge, I thought it would make me mentally tougher and physically tougher to be able to take the punishment and the pounding that I was going to take from, from throwing the football as much as I did. So, um, it was, it was almost like a, a goal for me. I set a lot of different goals in weight training. Uh, I probably lifted more than most quarterbacks did around the national football league. And that was the main reason why was just to make sure that I could take the punishment and, and made, and it made me mentally tough. Uh, when I, when I lifted weights like that. How do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as a guy who played the game as, as hard as anybody and that um, uh, was as versatile a quarterback as, as probably ever played the game. Um, like I said, I, I wasn't I wasn't um, fortunate enough to be in one offense my whole career like a Dan Marino or like a like a John Elway or or like a Joe Montana, but it didn't matter where you put me. Uh, I was going to be I was going to be productive and um, that was I think one of my biggest strengths was was my versatility as a quarterback so 
I want people to to uh, remember me as a guy who was very versatile, um, threw a really pretty ball, and uh, gave everything I had once I was on the field. And I, I, I always left it out there. Warren Moon, it's been a pleasure. Uh, you know, I've had a lot of Hall of Famers here on the podcast, and your story is one of the most remarkable. I mean, really unbelievable from start to finish. Uh, the the tough times you went through, the adversity, and, and the way you came out the other end and, and had the career you had. Uh, like I said, it was an honor. I appreciate you coming on the Boone Podcast. And what we do each and every uh, time on the Boone Podcast is the end. We bring in Dan Levy, the voice of the podcast, to ask a question from the fans. Dan. Hey, gentlemen. How are you? I'm good. How you doing, man? Doing all right. Okay, Warren. This one comes from Jessica in Las Vegas, and she wants to know this. Mr. Moon, who is your all-time favorite person to throw a football to? That's a great question because I threw to a lot of really good receivers. You don't throw for this many yards without uh, having a lot of good ones, but Probably the best overall was was Chris Carter. You know, I played with him in Minnesota for three years. On my first year with him, he, he uh, set an NFL record for single um, single receptions in a season, 122 catches. He he did the same thing the next year, 122 catches. And um, I love the way he approached the game. He practiced hard throughout the week, and he gave me a good picture throughout the week. And I think that's why we were able to develop such great chemistry together so quickly after coming into Minnesota. But yeah, Chris was probably the, the best receiver that I uh, I threw the football to, even though I played with a lot of other good ones. All right. And Jeff from Seattle wants to know, who was your favorite idols in Los Angeles growing up? There you go. Uh, Roman Gabriel <laughs> was, one of my, was one of my big idols because uh, he played quarterback for the Rams. You know, he was an Indian, so he was a minority. And, and that was one of the things I always worried about. Me being a minority, would I get a chance to play quarterback? So he was somebody that I could look at and say, you know, he's of Indian descent. He got a chance to play in the NFL. Maybe there's a chance for me uh, one day. So I love the way he played the game, and and he was the quarterback of the team that I rooted for right there in Los Angeles. Um, But there was so many other guys that that I kind of – looked up to, you know, Roger Staubach, who played for the Dallas Cowboys at that time. He was somebody I really loved because of his versatility as a quarterback. And uh, believe it or not, O.J. Simpson was somebody I looked up to uh, coming out of USC, uh, just a great, great uh, football player. You know, I'm sure he had his personal problems later on in his life. But back then when I was growing up, there was nobody like him. So uh, those are some of the guys I looked up to um, growing up in Los Angeles. Warren Moon, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sir. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys, and happy holidays to you. Mailbag. Boone, you know what that sound is, don't you? That is mailbag time. It is mailbag time. All right, Brad, this one comes from Kim in Sacramento, and she wants to know this. Brett, in your prime, what pitcher would you have loved to have faced, past or present? Past or present? All right, present, obviously, because these guys I haven't faced that are playing now. I, I'd say if we got to roll it back, I don't want to face any of the guys I faced during my career. So that would be past because mm-hmm. I faced him. I want to go all the way back. And uh, Babe Ruth, I want to see if he was really a pitcher. 
I don't believe he was. I want to see what it was like. I, I, I actually anybody be, before 1950, I'd really like to see how different the game was and and how different the speed of the game was. So if you could put me in a time machine and go backwards, I, I'd love to see the, you know the those old time baseball players and 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 how it was, just so I'd have a a gauge on the feeling of the speed of the game. All right, and with that on the flip coin, today's game, who would you love to try out? Nobody. There is a one pitcher you I'm love. To be like, right, in my fifties, early, but I have no desire to face anybody. As a matter of fact, when I when I see the the top pitchers of today's era pitching, it, it makes me not want to grab a bat. How about that? So wow. I don't want to face anybody. I've got no desire. Whoa. All right. Well, that is going to do it for the Bread Boon Podcast. My name is Dan Levy, technical director, producer, and voice of the cast. The executive producer is Rich Herrera. Digital content gets handled by Liz Landry. Please share the Boom Podcast with neighbors and friends. Make sure you subscribe to the Boom Podcast so you never miss an episode of the show. And while you're at it, give it a five-star rating and share your feelings about the Boom Podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show. For all of us here on the Boom Podcast, I am Dan Levy. Thanks for listening. See you on the next one.